are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. We have a new series for the summer. Now, I know I told you we're going to do Genesis, and we will. My goal was to begin Genesis, but I, I, I really felt like uh, we need to kind of hold off on that just right now. And um, I'm going to do that starting first week of September. But until then, I thought, since we have the upcoming EM retreat, which is really centered on unity uh, with one another in the church and, and the body of believers and our, un- our union with Christ, along with new life group structure that we have, and we're trying to promote just greater kind of interaction and fellowship with people we don't, normally don't hang out with. And so, again, promoting unity through life group. I thought it would be good to speak on a series regarding the different aspects of unity, unity in terms of the corporate house, our, our church, our relationships, um, marriage, all these sorts of things. And that new series will begin in a couple weeks after Father's Day. But until then, I just want to speak on something that I believe a lot of us here are dealing with. Okay, and that is the issue of just trusting in God, relying on God. Um, but more than that, it's, it's really an issue of do you believe in God's goodness? Do you really believe in who he says he is? That he is God and that he is good? And so I think it's especially pertinent since there'll be changes occurring within our life group structure and essentially in our lives throughout the summer. So I hope that this message today encourages you all and challenges you all to persevere as the Lord continues to lead you and our church throughout the summer and beyond, okay? So... Um, you know, we read from Genesis 50, and it seems like it's the last sermon of that series. And um, I may repeat it again in two years. You probably won't even remember it, right? But that's okay. But we've all heard that verse from Romans 28, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 28 before, that God, he works for the good of those who love him. You've heard of that, right? You've heard that. But when we face life's problems, I wonder how often we question his goodness and his faithfulness. You know, last week, my wife... She, uh, she's working right now at the hospital, um, but she had to deliver. She was working in the pediatric emergency room then, and she had to deliver the devastating news to two parents whose three-year-old uh, one day started complaining of just leg cramps and leg pains. And they didn't think it was a big deal, just, you know, maybe growing pains or something like that. Uh, but it came to the point where the little, where the little guy, he, just, he couldn't even walk. And so they, you know, got a bit alarmed, but again, we have anyone who's had little kids, you know that they get hurt and they get little, you know, you know, dead legs or whatever you want to call it. But so they uh, took him to the ho- they brought him to the hospital, and and they my my wife had to give them the devastating news of uh, diagnosing him with bone cancer, uh, leukemia, and um, then a couple days after she had this one baby coming. It was an infant, and they looked. She looked at the head, and, and the heads were all dent- the head was dented in. And she immediately called social services and, um, because the mother was abusing her infant child and was neglecting. And you think, why do these things happen? Why does this happen? Do, do all things really work together for good in cases like this? How, what good could possibly come 
from parental neglect and abuse? What good can come from a little child getting cancer or things like that? Or, or perhaps even a, a good friend of mine who started off in seminary dreaming of the day that, that he will get called to a church and serve there diligently, faithfully for the rest of his life. But just a few months before graduation, his wife decides, announces that she's leaving him and says, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. So she divorces him and walks out of his life right then and there. Or how about in the news? It came out in Central African Republic. There was a gang of Islamic terrorists, terrorists that with machetes and guns, they systematically slaughtered fleeing Christians left and right, just killing them. Children, wives, indiscriminately, just anything, everyone who said that they believe in Jesus. Or how about the time when uh, in the news again, maybe a few years ago, a group of kids were coming back from summer retreat youth camp, and when they're only a mile away from home, they collide with another bus and they, on the freeway, hitting the concrete wall and rolling over. Dozens were injured, but the youth pastor, his wife, their unborn child, and five other youth kids were instantly killed. And you think to yourself, by the way, all these stories are true. You think to yourself, do all things really work together for good? You see, of all the questions that plagues the hearts of God's people, none is greater than the question of why, God? Why? That question keeps coming back again and again in our lives. You see, you see no matter how many Bible mem memory verses you memorize, no matter how many sermons you listen to, no matter how many Sunday services you attend, all these things, that question comes back. Why did this happen, Lord? Why am I going through this pain in my life, the struggle in my life? God, why didn't you answer my prayers? Why didn't you answer our prayers? Every time we see pain in this fallen world, we think, God, where are you in this? There's one question I want you to ask yourself as you listen to this sermon, and that is, can you trust God? Can I trust God right now? Can you trust him in the details of your life? Can you trust him that even though things may not be going according to your plan, that God, he's still leading and working in you? Can you trust in him in that? You see, the passage that Gene just read today, the hero in this passage, it's not Joseph, it's God. And so we have to understand why he does what he does and why these things happen. You know, why do these bad things happen to good people, decent people who love and fear the Lord? Now, in membership class, we've gone over this, uh, but there's a doctrine. By the way, a doctrine is a belief or a teaching taught by the church, and that doctrine is the doctrine of, pre of uh, providence. If you break up that word, it's pro and it's video, which literally means in Latin, to see before. The biblical concept of providence defines it as God's gracious oversight of the universe. Now, if you want to break that sentence down, God's providence is one aspect of his grace. Oversight means that he directs the course of all the events. And the universe tells us that God, he not only knows the details of the big picture, the, the greater scheme of all things, but he concerns himself with the tiny details of life too. And so think of it this way. God, he upholds all things. He governs all events. He directs everything to its appointed end. And he does this all the time in every circumstance. And he does it all for the glory of God, for his glory. That's the providence of God. Now, I'm telling you all this because without understanding the doctrine, it'll be hard to fully understand the passage that we've just read. I want you all to know, when it comes to your life, your life, God, he doesn't roll the dice. 
He, he, he's not arbitrarily pulling levers, pushing buttons and saying, huh, let's see what's going to happen in David's life. Now this doctrine of providence, it teaches us some several important truths. And one is this, nothing escapes his notice. Big or small, God, he notices everything. He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He keeps track of the stars that he's made. He knows all the rivers that lead to the oceans. He sets forth the day of your birth and the day of your death. And he ordains everything else that happens in between. But not only with that, God, there are no accidents. There are incidents, to be sure. But there are no accidents, like events that seem to be senseless tragedies. We don't know why this happens, but God, he does. Nothing escapes him. But know this. God, he will often use difficult moments and human tragedies in our lives to accomplish a great purpose. Romans 8.29, we know that God's ultimate purpose is to shape his children into the image of Jesus Christ. Do you want to become more like Christ? Even if it hurts, do you want to be more like Christ? Are you willing to go through the crucible, to be refined, to be sanctified, if that means that at the end of your life, when God sees you, he sees his son? And when the people see you in your life, they see Christ. Is it worth going through those tragedies in your life if God receives glory? You see, the promise of God is really his invisible hand. If you want to put it into these attributes, you can say it this way. God's providence includes his sovereignty, which means that God is in control. Amen? It means God's providence includes his predestining, which means that he's in charge of how everything turns out. Do you believe that? God's providence, it includes his wisdom, which means that he makes no mistake. Do you believe that? God's providence includes his goodness, which means that he has our best interests at heart. Do you believe that? So with that as our background, let's turn back to the story. So here we have Joseph. You guys know Joseph who was favored out of all his brothers by his father, Jacob. I had a really good friend growing up. I'm not going to say his name. I think he sometimes hear, listens to my message online. <laughs> but um, I had a really good friend growing up, and he had five brothers and one sister. Five brothers. And it seemed like he could get away with anything because he knew he was the favorite. Like his parents just absolutely adored him. I was like, I don't know why. There's like nothing good about you, Right? I told him that his, his other brothers are successful and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm like, what are you doing with your life, man? I'm a good friend, by the way, right? <laughs> but he was the favorite. His parents just loved him more than the others for some reason. That was like, that was like Joseph. He was favored out of all his brothers by his father, Jacob. They all envied him. The day came when the brothers conspired to sell him to the Midianites who happened to be passing by. So they splashed his coat of many colors with the, goat of the, with the blood of goat in order to make it appear that he had been killed by a wild animal. Then these brothers, they show Jacob, the dad, right, the coat of Joseph, who ends up believing their lie and sorrowfully accepts that his beloved one and only son, not one and only, but his beloved son, Joseph, had been killed, that he's dead. Meanwhile, Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Midianites, and there he was sold again, this time, to Potiphar. Now, who's Potiphar? He's the head of Pharaoh's head security. This guy had the rank. This guy had the power. He had the influence. He was top-notch. Then in Genesis chapter 39, we're told that Joseph, he gained favor with Potiphar because the Lord was with Joseph. 
The Lord was with Joseph. Eventually, Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his entire household, which was a huge honor for anyone, let alone a Hebrew slave. Well, as great as things were, apparently being competent, confident, and good-looking doesn't always have its perks because Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph. She wanted a piece. She approached him about, hey, let's have an affair. I don't know if she said it that casually. But she said she wanted to have an affair. But Joseph, being the awesome guy, a man of integrity, he refused. And he pointed out that he could not betray his master Potiphar. But more importantly, he says, I could not sin against God. You see how it always goes back? It's never just sin that you and I commit relationally because all sin is a sin against God. And Joseph, he realized, he goes, he goes not only am I going to not betray my master who, who's been granting me the great favor and blessing me here as the head of the house and all that stuff, but I can't do that to my God, you see. Potiphar's wife persisted to the point where one day when everyone else was gone, she attempted to pull him down on her bed. And Joseph, man, good guy, what, what did he do? Did, did he try to put himself in that situation? No, he fled the scene. He fled the scene, leaving his cloak behind. Rule number one, never wear cloaks. <laughs> Humiliated by his refusal, she accused him of rape. It was a false charge, obviously, but Potiphar believed in his wife over Joseph. And so what did he do? He threw Joseph in prison. Now I want you guys to imagine for a moment being in his position. Do you see how his life is not getting better? It's getting worse. Do you see how, but in every low valley that he's walking in, that God is still with him. God is with him. That's God's providence. The invisible hand is with Joseph, working through him in his life, in the circumstances. So Joseph, he's in prison, another low point. But in prison, Joseph, he prospered once again. And he gained the respect of the fellow prisoners, but also even of the guards. And this happened because, why? The Lord was with him and he trusted in him. Eventually, the cupbearer and the baker, they're also thrown to the same prison. And Joseph, he befriended them. One night, they both had dreams that they were, they were unable to interpret. But Joseph, he was able to interpret it because the Lord was with him and gave him assistance. And the dreams came true exactly as Joseph had predicted. The baker was hung and the cupbearer was released. And Joseph said to the cupbearer, can you, can you remember me when you go out? And the cupbearer he forgot. Two whole years passed by. Can you believe that? Two whole years passed by. Whole time, Joseph is probably in his cell saying, oh, please, I wonder if he remembers me. And in those two years, at the end of those two years, Pharaoh, he has a dream. A dream that he could not interpret. A dream that no one else could interpret. None of his sorcerers, none of his whatever, they could not interpret. And that's at that moment is when the cupper remembered, ah, Joseph. I'd be pretty angry at that cupbearer if I was Joseph. But do you see how even in that, how all that time needed to pass to come to this point? So Pharaoh, he ordered Joseph, brought before him. Joseph immediately interprets his dream and was rewarded by Pharaoh who made Joseph not just a not just the top of the prison chain, not just, you know, the head of Potiphar's household, but the Pharaoh himself made Joseph, a Hebrew slave, the prime minister of Egypt. 
Egypt, which was at that time the biggest superpower, not bad for a Hebrew slave who was hated by his brothers, then sold into slavery, slavery, then falsely accused of rape, who was then forgotten for two years in prison. Not too bad. Well, eventually a famine struck the Near East. And Jacob, the dad, the father, told his sons to go to Egypt to buy some grain. So they go and, they, and in the process they meet Joseph. Only it's been some time now. And so then they, didn't, they didn't quite recognize their brother who threw them, who they threw into slavery. Now, this encounter between Joseph and the brothers, it happens twice. And eventually, Joseph reveals his true identity. And the brothers are shocked. And then they get scared. Because they've been living with this guilty conscience for quite some time. And now Joseph, he's got the upper hand. He's in a position to get even. He can make their lives miserable. He had the power and he had the authority to completely wipe them out and no one would even question him. But Joseph doesn't do that. In fact, he stuns them with these words that read from Genesis 45 Five through eight. And now do not be distressed or angry, angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt." But that's not the end of the story. The brothers, excited, overwhelmed, and just surprised and shocked, they go back and tell their father Jacob, Joseph is still alive. He can't believe it. Eventually they convince him to come and move into Egypt. The family, they settle in Egypt and they live in peace for many years. Finally, Jacob, he dies at the age of 147. And now it's just Joseph and the brothers And the brothers, they fear that because their dad is now dead, that Joseph will not be free to take revenge on them. So they told Joseph, okay, um, by the way, before dad died, he told us to tell you to treat us nicely. He did. That's what they said to him. Another lie to cover up their guilt. And so here was Joseph's response. Listen carefully again, since these are the words of a man who believes in the providence of God. This is, these are the words of a man who believes that God is in control, that he's sovereign, that God, he's in charge of everything that turns out, that God is wise, and that God is good. It says here in verse 19, 20 of chapter 50, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I, for am I in the place of God? In other words, am I here to judge? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. How in the world can Joseph have that kind of faithfulness, that kind of self-control, that kind of whatever, to be able to answer them like that? Do you know why? It's because he trusted in God. Since day one, he trusted in him. He saw God everywhere he went and in everything he was in. Just think about that statement. You meant evil against me. But God, he meant it for good. That statement alone has two truths. First, yes, 
You meant evil against me, meaning what the brothers did to Joseph was indeed evil. Joseph, he didn't sugarcoat it and say, you know what, brothers, it was a lapse in judgment, but hey, it's okay, it's water under the bridge. No, he straight up told his brothers, you guys were wicked, you were led by Satan, you did evil, and you are 100% responsible for all the sins that you have committed against me. But the second part to that statement was, but God meant it for good. Now, this doesn't mean that the evil that the brothers did wasn't actually evil. No, it just means that God is able to take evil actions of sinful men and use them to accomplish his plans. Joseph saw the invisible hand of God at work in his life. Do you see God's invisible hand at work in your life today? How he's moving you, challenging you, stretching your faith. How he's testing you. How he's giving you opportunities to serve and to love and to pour out to one another and to your family. Do you see his hand at work in your life today? Because he's working. Joseph understood that behind the wickedness of man stood the faithful, providential, good God who had been orchestrating the entire affair in order to get Joseph at just the right place, at just the right time, in order to save his family. Mao Zedong, an atheistic, communist tyrant, whose understanding of life was that he did not have to answer to any authority outside himself, is considered the greatest mass murderer in world history. The genocide under his rule was so great, it makes the Holocaust seem small in comparison. Under Mao, over 45 million people were killed within four years. 45 million people killed in four years. And you might think, how could any good come from this? Such despair, such recklessness, millions and millions and millions of people's lives totally destroyed. And here we have a paranoid tyrant who would kill anything and everyone who would just, who even resembled as a potential threat. What good could come from this evil? You know what Mao said? Mao said that he would eliminate religion. Well, guess what? He couldn't. And he didn't. Actually, his plan to eliminate religion failed completely because what he ended up doing was to create an entire nation with no former religious foundation. This, in turn, has made millions and millions of people into blank-slated seekers of truth. So when the gospel was introduced, Christianity spread like wildfire. There are some churches right now that baptize up to 500 members every Sunday. In the year 2010, there are approximately 58 million Protestant Christians. Experts say by the year 2025, there will be nearly 160 million Christians, which would put it ahead of the United States Christian population of 159 million. By year 2030, the numbers would reach up to 247 million Christians, placing it above Brazil, above Mexico, above the United States as the world's largest Christian nation. Mao thought he could eliminate religion. God has other plans. Your problems in your life say that you're done. You have no more hope. Just give up. You're just a lost cause. No one will love you. No one wants you. No one needs you. And you have nothing to offer. Your problems say it's the end for you. Your problems, your sins, the devil says it could eliminate you. But God, he's got different plans for you. You know that? 
How do we know that? Because our God is the God of the resurrection. It's the resurrection. Things in our lives have to die sometimes in order that we may live and see the life that we can have in Christ Jesus. The journey may be painful, brothers and sisters, but God is God and he is working in you. His providential care is with you. His invisible hand is pushing you along. You see, brothers and sisters, no matter how confusing life circumstances can get, no matter how much injustice you may face, no matter how many people have left you and have forsaken you, or how many doors have been shut in your, in your life, like Joseph, you must be able to say, though the motives were bad, God's motives were good. Though I'm surrounded by wickedness and hardship, my God is with me and he leads me. Everything that occurs in your life was ordained by God, and we must know that God never allowed our lives to slip from his grasp. Because at just the right moment, his brothers threw him into the wall. At just the right moment, the Midianites came along. At just the right moment, he was sold to Potiphar. At just the right moment, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. At just the right moment, he met the baker and the cupbearer. At just the right moment, the Pharaoh called for him. At just the right moment, he was promoted to prime minister. At just the right moment, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt. At just the right moment, the brothers, they met Joseph. At just the right moment, Jacob's family moved to Egypt. Egypt. At just the right moment, Pharaoh ordered, offered them the land of Goshen, and at just the right moment, you see, they settled there, and the Lord blessed them, and they prospered. All this happened at just the right moment, in just the right way, so that the right people will be in the right place, so that the, in the end, everything will come out the way that God had ordained from the beginning. That is the providence of God in action. You don't see it in your life right now, but he is moving in you. He's moving in your life. So from this, we learn that God is sovereign, that he predestines, that he is wise, and that he is good. Never question that. That he is who he says he is, and he does what he says he's going to do. The question we ask ourselves is not, can we trust God, but will you trust in him? And you can, and you will, because he is trustworthy. You see, there's no other option in life. Either you have to trust that you're running the universe or that God is. We can't even run our own lives without hitting every possible speed bump, every possible obstacle and that takes us out. We have no choice, brothers and sisters, but to submit and bow down before the Lord and say, I'm not in charge, but I will now trust you with every detail of my life, Lord. You see, God, he, he's not asking you now to navigate through your life. He's just asking you to hold his hand as he navigates for you. You know, a few months ago, <clears throat> my family and I, we went to the mall. I forget which store it was, but Ada, as per usual, was just running around. And my wife was looking at some clothes, and as usual, I'm just standing there in the middle. All of a sudden, Grace says, hey, where's Ada? And I say, right there. And Grace says, I can't see her. Where is she? And I said, right there. And she goes, where? And I said, woman, you are limited. I am bigger than you. I see her. She is right there playing. I've got my eye on her. 
verbatim. <laughs> There's got to be a point in our lives where we stop questioning God and we finally know and submit to the fact that God is bigger than us, that he sees it. He's seen where you've been, he sees where you're at, and he sees where you're going. I pray that as we enter into this summer, you probably have a lot of doubts right now, a lot of concerns, concerns regarding your career, your schooling, your marriage, your relationships, your finances, and all these concerns are valid too. But I challenge you to view these difficulties like Joseph did by trusting in God and seeing him in everything and in everywhere. God has not left you and he will direct your course. Will you trust in God today? If so, give his directions that are revealed in Scripture more than just a cursory glance. Give his channel of communication and prayer more than just a before-the-meal type of repetition. And give his community, his church, his small group, his people more than just a weekend hello, but a lifetime commitment and devotion. Will you trust in him today? You can because he is trustworthy. Believe in the providence of God. He knows it all. He knows where you're at, and he knows where you're going. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, and we thank you, Lord, that you can see even when we cannot. That though we are limited God, you are bigger, and you see it, and you know it, and your good character, Lord, leads us to a point where we can just surrender ourselves, Lord, because you're not here to hurt, you're here to help, you're here to bring us closer to you, to draw us closer, and for us to look more like your son, Jesus, Lord, for that is our, that is our only hope as well. God, whatever is that we're facing right now, whatever challenges they may be, would you remind us, Lord, that you're here and that you're working in our lives. Help us to trust you in all things. No matter what the tragedies, no matter what the pain, no matter what obstacles we face right now, I pray that we would lay it before you and trust that you are good, trust that you're in control, and trust that you are wise, for you are God and we are not. We need you, Holy Spirit. We thank you. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to give you guys just a brief moment now to pray your own prayer. Meditate on what you've just heard. And then we'll go into our final song. Mm -hmm.